0: (laughs) Oh, (laughs) my God. Beam
1: good morning, gents. I have music playing in the background, so you have to excuse that for a minute. Some some playing in my head, so that's on me. Well, good morning. It uh, we've arrived at another Friday, so technical difficulties.
0: Greg, I'll let you
1: take this away for just a minute while we'll I fix oh, yeah. this. And learn. Yeah, no
0: problem. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Happy Friday to everybody. This is uh, episode. What is it? 18 now, Jeff? Holy cow, things are are flying by. Um, we got a fascinating guest for you guys today. Um, definitely plop your questions in the chat. Uh, we got Chris Fallone you guys are probably familiar with Chris. Um, you know, I was on his podcast, "Breaking Into Cybersecurity," a few months back. It's been one of the biggest opportunities from a people continuing to come to me and say, "I saw you on this podcast. I think you guys are doing great things. Would love to, you know, build a relationship." Chris is really a community builder, mentor to many of us. Um, obviously, a cybersecurity expert. Um, so he he is the full trifecta in our mind, uh, and I'm really looking forward to the discussion. Uh, Chris, thanks so much for joining us. Um, I think it'd be great just for the audience here to hear a little bit about kind of your background, some of the impacts you're looking to make on your community going forward. Absolutely.
2: Thank you for having me on, and it was an honor having you on, on my podcast, a little bit about my background. Came from IT help desk and uh, eventually moved my way into cybersecurity. I found that I loved helping people achieve what they wanted to do in a secure way. It started from in the help desk with folks having their passwords on post-it notes and kind of just teaching them a better way and. As we went along the way with digital transformations, um, companies moving to the cloud, it's been a continuous journey for me.
0: No, I love it. Yeah, it's you've, you've seen you've seen a lot. You've seen things develop in this industry. Um, you know, obviously, both as a leader and a practitioner, I think a lot of people only see one of those sides. You know, you either see the business side or you see the practitioner side. Um and I think you're one of those key folks who are breaking down barriers in that that avenue to kind of elevate, you know, leaders whether they're pivoting from, you know, business area, pivoting from something, you know, technological, more on the technology side, you know, or coming out of the military, you know, there's a lot of impact there from folks who have a lot of valuable expertise to bring to the table that is untapped commonly and I think, you know, you're one of those folks that come to mind for me that are breaking through and lowering those barriers, which is what this industry really needs um, from, our, from our standpoint. We've got a couple uh, questions in the chat here. See Simon, appreciate you joining us. Good to see you as well. Appreciate the heart. <laughs> Gives me a little bit of a, a warm hug this morning, so I appreciate that. See Paul Cummings in the chat. I had to laugh this morning. I think I'm, I'm back up to speed, so my apologies,
1: gents, around the table. Um... I think I I missed out on coffee cup cheers, but I'll uh, hit hit, hit the screen with it. There you go. I love it. Perfect. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it would be interesting to just find out, you know, Chris, you have a plethora of experience. You know, we met, you know, years ago, not, this is the first time meeting digitally, so it's great to see you face-to-face time, but just how you got into the kind of coaching realm, you know, what that driving function was, um, and, you know, where you guys are headed next. Would be helpful I'd say
2: it's something that has been within me forever folks have always come to me for advice even when I was uh, the the youngest help desk analyst in the company I was the one um, driving the change driving the innovation and individuals would come to me saying that this is what you're looking to do and I'd talk to them and just find out what really drives them to help motivate them from their core to achieve their mission versus a superficial goal that's out there that you're trying to work towards that once achieved will really bring them nothing, maybe only a piece of paper.
1: Yeah, I mean, we talk about this all the time, finding your why, what your reason that really Um, Get you out of bed in the morning, put your feet on the ground, you know, really get into the heart and soul of your passions. And then when it comes to cyber, you know, taking the I want to get into cyber and translating into what role in cyber, what roles at 150 plus roles there are Um, definitely value the perspective, the experience and the guidance and leadership that you bring to the table um, in your mission there and, and outside as a practitioner Um, we're very much alongside that path as well as Simon Linstead and the guys, great guys at InfoSec Live to really break down that barrier to help folks, right? There's plenty of people, and we'll get into this here shortly, is that do we actually have a talent shortage or is it a facade uh, that we're failing to potentially train and create that pipeline? We're passionate about that because we want to leave a lasting legacy and an impact to the folks that we serve But the communities around us, it's all about community to us at the end of the day. So we value, um, you know, your inputs, your continued dedication to that cause and mission. I'd say my my mission,
2: right, is developing the leaders of tomorrow. And that could be someone leading as an individual contributor. It could be someone leading a team or leading an organization. I like to work with them to figure out what makes them unique and what unique values they can bring to their organization, their team, or even their future employer and help bring that out
0: of them. Yeah, I think that's one of the things I think don't happen enough within a company model Because cybersecurity is still early on, obviously we have leaders that have been in this space, you know, 20, 30 years, potentially even more. It's such a rapidly moving space because you're trying to stay ahead of something that you're never potentially going to get ahead of um, from the threat standpoint, that I think commonly the leadership and those kind of softer skills are not prioritized. And there's really, you know, before... CPF coaching. There wasn't many outlets to go there and ask the right questions. You know, here's where I'm at. Here are my skills. How do you suggest I build on the skills that I want to acquire? Um, so I think it's it's fascinating. You saw that gap and are taking daily strides to put people in a better position. I'm sure you're learning along the way, which is you know makes it a win-win. Um, and you can better serve your your the people that you serve because you're learning from. People of different backgrounds, people of different mindsets. Um, so I think it's fascinating. But do you think people kind of standing around the black ball and saying there's a talent shortage? You know, do you think that is just bringing our industry down, um, or is there something we can do to kind of cut through that and say, you know, there's really just a disconnect between X and and Y? You know, what are your thoughts there on ways? forward that we can be better as industry practitioners to elevate you know folks to the next level which will overall elevate the industry
2: i think it's a disconnect i think it's a cognitive disconnect between i need to run my business and achieve these results now versus hey this person's coming on it's going to take them six to nine months to get up to speed, no matter who they are, but they forget that even the senior experienced individuals are going to have that ramp up time as well, because each organization is unique, each system that they use is unique, so there might be experiences that they can bring, but the younger generation coming into the workforce, they're going to learn uh, just as quickly to adapt. So take r- recognize that both the experience and the non-experience do have that ramp-up time. Think logically as to what exactly you're looking for that role to deliver. And if that's truly one role or two roles, because oftentimes with tight budgets, everyone wants everything in one, and then you'll end up spending two to three times as much on a senior individual trying to achieve that. But if you had logically cut that role down into two mid or a mid and a junior role, you could have achieved potentially more results uh, having two people versus one. And it would add resiliency to your workforce at the same time.
1: Yeah, I think it's an important point that you mentioned about the ramp up time um, that it's needed on both sides of the table, whether that's senior leadership or the folks coming into your organization. You know, many times you see in these job recs that it says, you know, somebody that's ready to hit the ground running. You know, I kind of have a head scratching moment. You know, what does that look like? You have to get adjusted to, you know, you may already know hopefully that what the business does and what it focuses on, product, tools, service, widget, but to get a Custom to the culture, you know how processes are executed upon. It takes weeks, you know, to even get a CISO up to speed, right? Um, so, I think it's it's critically important to know that you know to provide those outlets for those folks that you know everybody gonna is everybody is going to take some time to get adjusted and get their feet on the ground. Well, you mentioned um,
2: even the CISO and. Especially a CISO, because a CISO coming into an organization doesn't just have to do the cybersecurity function. They have to know the business. They have to know what drives the business. How does this business create value for its clients? And then what are the ways that they can enable this value generation in the most secure way possible? And then that also involves building relationships with all the stakeholders across the organization, and you know, unless you're in person, um, those those relationships take considerably longer to build um, in a w- remote environment. Um, that being said, companies are looking to take advantage of that remote environment so that they have access to talent from across the country, but there's some pros and cons to that, and you're seeing some companies are starting to move back to the office so that they can try to build that kinship, um, but then th- there's a, a whole different aspect when you when you look at the intergenerational divide. Um, me and you, we, we've grown accustomed to this, um, we're, we're happy, we're comfortable, uh, we have stability for our family. The younger generation, they're more fluid. Um, they don't mind working out of a Starbucks or um, working wherever. And forcing them to come back into the office just to have a meeting um, then creates friction for them. So you have to try to amend the different perspectives of the different generations and uh have them come together to create that
1: optimal output of, for a team yeah we talked about diversity equity and inclusion you know we're definitely big on that is that creative minds from different backgrounds different circumstances different looks they all drive effective output um if there's the right leadership in place you know providing them the the platform for that so you know, kind of looping back to what you said, that if somebody wants to work remote, uh, you know, hybrid capacity, that doesn't necessarily stifle the output. You know, it's, it's about, I think, contributions at the end of the day and effectively serving uh, the end, end line of that, which is your customer, you know, partner, client. Um, you know, do you see the future of in the world of chat GPT and such and we, we can go off on a separate tangent there, but being remote? Um, you know, a lot of overhead of having those traditional brick and mortar office spaces is just now weighing down the company budget. They're trying to cut costs. And, you know, I've, do you do you find that that's going to be sustainable to bring people back in a hybrid capacity? Or, you know, is it going to be tomorrow where, hey, look, remote is going to be the future again? I think the hybrid is likely
2: here to stay, um, whether we like it or not. You'll have organizations that will consolidate their their real estate holdings, potentially have a smaller footprint for a major corporate office, but they would still want their stakeholders to come together at a certain time. They might just have to plan those activities because really... Coming together, you build a different type of bond than if you were just remote. Uh, There's a tighter connection uh, between humans when there's face-to-face interaction. So there is value in that. Um, There might not be value in them coming to that office every day because if their their other stakeholders are across the country, they're going to the office to sit back in front of a screen to Zoom with someone across the country that doesn't make sense. And if you force people to do that, it causes friction in their mind with regards to their role. And if this is really the type of role that they want.
1: Yeah, I think that the three plus years or so, I know we're still in the mix of COVID, but has taught us that, you know, there's real life living that goes on for folks, whether they're balancing three kids, you know, their house is on fire, but they're still trying to conduct a webinar. Um, That is the real authentic, you know, world that people live in that it's, you know, I think it's somewhat been refreshing because it just shows that if your kid comes in during a, you know, video con, that this is how people live. Right. And this is what they balance between you talk about work-life balance. This is the authentic self and the struggles and the opportunities that they have in every day. So I think having a strike and a blend of that is, is great. We find the value of shaking hands, looking people in the, the eyes and, you know, having, having that face to face dialogue. So I definitely think hybrid is the, is the, will be the next wave of you know, mainstream activities when it comes to how businesses operate. You know, I'm curious, you know, when it comes to training, I mentioned chat GPT, you know, that's the big hype right now. Bing's using mm-hmm. it. Google has their own flavor of it. Do you feel that the future kind of training pipeline or onboarding process will be utilizing artificial intelligence in the future?
2: Yes, to some way, to some extent or another, you have companies that are already using artificial intelligence to drive their IVR, to drive their um, retention of customers by um, sending them social media feeds or sending them mailers just at the right time. Um, There's AI and programming and cybersecurity and other industries. We can't stop that evolution, just like when PCs came out, um, we couldn't stop them becoming the main way for businesses to create value in an information age. What we'll have to do is adapt. There'll be different types of roles. There might not be um, the mundane SOC analyst type role um, because that might be automated out, but then you'll have more... Uh, sophisticated threat hunter roles where uh, now you need the, the intelligence that the artificial intelligence doesn't have to be able to do that type of threat hunting. Um, you'll have other creative roles where while AI can help you generate some content, um, you still need to tweak it to the audience that you're delivering it for. Uh, things like that. So there's going to be AI involved in programming and cybersecurity and industry, but it will um, just have to adapt and be a way to make our process more efficient. But humans will still be in the loop.
0: Yeah, great! No, I game. love it. I think I see that. I see yeah.
1: the mind uh, just churning. No, I think a lot, <laughs> lot,
0: a lot of different angles to go down. Uh, we could, we could talk about AI and, and chat ChatGPT all day. Um, you know, we we did that last week, and we'd love to have you back on the show to dive a layer deeper there, because I think when we when we consider exponential technology like we're going through now, like you know these different revolutions that we're going through from a technology standpoint, I think what it's done really productively over the past year or two is it's made people realize that they don't have all the answers that they it's almost exponential leadership. And I think you're at the perfect position um, to be able to help leaders adjust to these exponential technology developments, but it requires the leaders to ask questions, you know, commonly, you know, 10, 15 years ago, maybe, the leaders that I was surrounded with when I, you know, got my first job or you know went out into the economy and said, Hey, I'm ready to be, you know, contributing member. It seemed like everybody expected the leaders to have all the answers. So the folks on the team didn't really have the opportunity to hear questions from the leaders. Hey, what do you guys think about this? How do you what do you think if we do a hybrid model that's, you know, you work from home on Mondays and you, you know, you come into the office Thursday, Friday. So just those types of conversations I see happening more. How do you get leaders out of the seat of I have all the answers and, and turn that into now I have smart questions that I can ask the people I'm leading so that I can be a better leader for them? And that's you know servant leadership at the end of the day.
2: Uh, part of that is uh, the types of uh, generations that we have in the workforce um, that my parents, your parents, parents. They were from a generation where they hid vulnerabilities. They hid that they didn't know the answer. And if you asked them questions and they didn't know the answer, they'd make you work five times as hard uh, figuring it out versus telling you, I don't know, let's work it out together. Um, Our generation has realized that our parents don't know all the answers. So let's open up and have smart questions. The next generation is, well, our parents don't know the answers for sure. I could go out and ask chat GPT, or I could go out and Google that. Like, they're, they're considerably more fluid in admitting that they don't know things and how they're going to go figure it out. Um, so it's about taking advantage of the experience from the older uh, generations, the the vulnerability from our generation, and then the fluidity to adapt of the next generation, and bring them all together to create a, a, a really cool diverse workforce. I love it because one, yeah. one one of the things that 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 we see for folks coming in is there's there's ageism, there's sexism, there's all sorts of isms, and if we can bring that diversity together, we could take advantage of those different isms for the value that they bring and create a great workforce together.
0: To turn the negatives into positives. I love the uh, the ism because I think there's a lot <laughs> of isms in whichever way you look at it. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, one of the things that I think technology is continuing to do that I'd be interested in your thoughts on is, with more with further abilities to ask Chat GPT the question, does that put a higher wall up for us to ask the person next to us if we can find the answer immediately and get that that chemical, you know, that endorphin shock of I got the answer to my question? Or I go to, you know, the person next to me and say, Hey, what are your thoughts on this? And I love your perspective. Do we do you see that wall continuing to get higher? Or do you do you see strategies that you can kind of cut through that? Um, you know, as, as new people come in, you want them to ask questions. And if, if they can ask questions to ChatGPT, they might not ask to the leader. Well, it, so
2: it, it's, again, going back to the generational um, approach. Our, our approach in our generation was to ask our neighbor, ask our friend, right? Um, that was part of our upbringing. Uh, today's generation, you're, you're connected to folks all over the globe. They don't need to see that there's not an expert uh, within a five-mile radius of them to go, oh, I know someone that is perfect at this. They happen to be in Italy or in Romania. I could just reach out and ask them. So they're more fluid in asking for help. It's They now have a global reach versus when we were growing up, it was more our local or regional reach, Um we, we had a bigger reach than our parents did because uh, we started accepting technology as we were growing into the workforce. So it, it grew, um, but now it's global. So we have to take advantage that while they might not ask uh, our neighbor, they could find the answer somewhere. Um, so, Enable them to do the troubleshooting. Enable them to figure out the problem. And don't think because they're not necessarily asking you for help that they're not um, getting help. But you do want to ensure that you're integrating them into the process, offering help. But if if they say, oh, no, um, I'm working on this, uh, figure it out, let them do it, right? Just don't say. think that you're being antisocial or... Um, n- not reaching out to you for help. You have to try to work with them and take advantage of the way they work.
1: I think great points. You were talking about kind of giving them or tasking them with a um, you know, duty or assignment, and letting them go, f- kind of figure it out. Allows us kind of the creativity and that spark to, we'll we'll call it, add fuel to the fire. You know, we we're well, big on. I know, think our- it's
2: different. Yeah. I think it's different than tasking them, right? Tasking them says you move um, mouse from left to right. That's the task that the problem is, Hey, this machine over here doesn't have a mouse. How can the user interact with the machine? Well, they'll figure out that there's an extra mouse over there and they'll deliver it. So you provide them with the problem and they'll figure out a solution. If you're tasking them, um, it'll feel like you're being micromanaged yourself. You don't like that. Um, you, you want to problem solve. You want to show that you're bringing value to the workforce. So give them a problem, tell them why it's a problem, tell them the type of results that you're expecting, but let them figure out the middle part.
1: Yeah, that's, that's a, that's a good point. Uh, I, I refined, uh, approach to that you know i guess you could say here's what we're doing here's what we're hoping to achieve and then reverse engineer the goal right so and that, what does that look like let's take the first step um you know what's in front of you right don't have to swallow the entire elephant you just have to take that that uh that first uh, walk forward so definitely get
0: yep
1: and, and while
2: i'm here um i do want to give a shout out to the whole cyberhuman initiative which is a non-for-profit that I support with Paul Cummings. Uh, One of the things that we do for uh, veterans as well as others transitioning into cybersecurity is kind of provide them with uh, a roadmap, uh, uh, a guided path to figure out their role in cyber
1: and um, just figured I'd throw it out here while I have some screen time. Yeah, we definitely, we definitely value a coffee cup cheers there. You know, Paul has been instrumental, you know, on the ground floor and, you know, it's been very much a pleasure to meet folks like yourself uh, that are contributing to that cause, experts, leaders that are leading from the front and um, in that organization. You know, we've definitely been a very much of a proponent of the whole cyber human initiative, you know, whether that's feeding our apprentices to uh, to that program directly or directing them from the get go. Um. after having kind of a discovery discussion with them to find out really what their why is and, you know, what they want to potentially do. If that's not with us, that's fine. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, our goal is to make sure that we direct them to the learning that they want to experience and then the resources that come with that. So definitely appreciate uh, everything that you and the team are doing.
0: Yeah. I think one of the, one of the best things about this industry you know, obviously, the people are incredible because it takes passionate folks to accomplish you know, security outcomes, things of that nature for these organizations. But I think it's the clarity that folks like you, you Chris, Paul, Simon, the clarity you guys have on your what and why. You know, I think a lot of times we get stopped by the how because the how is a continual, continuous process that constantly re- requires you know, adaptability. Being able to ask the right questions, um, but I think you know bec- yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah, because you guys have so much passion for what you're doing. The what and the why is so clear, and I think that's inspiring to me. And then you know, collectively as a community, we you know come together, figure out the how, um, and I think that's what makes this industry so great to be a part of. Um, and I'm I'm glad to uh, to be a member of it.
1: I thought there for a second he was pointing the uh, the why to me because uh, on the screen. It- so it says says it says why why is Jeff here in the conversation? Just, no 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 just just uh, just all in <laughs> good fun. Figure figured we'd uh, we'd enjoy a laugh. Oh yeah, yeah.
2: And I, the, the one thing I'd tell you is, um, oh, okay, a question from Paul: How do you attract more youth when it comes to STEM programming-centric? Um, that there is much more than cyber. So. Right now, I know my son's at this age where he's playing Minecraft. He's he's getting creative in it. Um, in the beginning, it was just about um, having adventures. Now he's evolved to where he's building, and he wants to figure out... Um, what are those ingredients needed to make that special formula to get that next brick or whatever in Minecraft so he's doing the research he's figuring it out so it's doing things like that at, at a young age to show them that it's it, it can be fun it, it could be a game you could be building and solving a problem while doing a game um there's we we've done um Mark Rober has a, a company where they, they they send pieces to a kit and then um, provide them with instructions and like a science video about what's happening in that. And they can make tripwires and launchers and all s- sorts of things. But they just get pieces of wood and plastic and they're the ones to put it together. And when you see that that smile at the end that, yes, they got it working. That's the type of thing that we need to try to enable um, for everyone. And the challenge when it comes to that is that as you have individuals that might have less access to uh, funds for things like that, less access to technology for things like that, uh, we have to work as a society to provide those underrepresented communities with resources to be able to provide those experiences uh, to the next generation so that they can have that interest from when they're young. Because if you introduce it by the time they're in high school, they, they already figured out potentially where they want to go. Oh, I want to be a nurse, a firefighter, an astronaut. Um, they, they never think of cyber. They, they, like It's the ones that have been introduced when you are younger that can uh, do that.
1: Yeah, I think when you talk about uh, well, first of all, Chris, how, how old is your son? Uh, he's eight. Awesome. So I think that just the, the fluidity of the of the young child uh, brain and the ability to you know want to do whatever they can dream up is is awesome, right? So we recently went to a goal setting workshop uh, at the beginning of the year uh, with somebody from the Vistage Group and made an important point that. If you ask somebody in their maybe 20, 30s, you know, what do you want to do? They have that directed path because maybe that's because that that's really what they want to do or they found their why. Or maybe that's because people have said, you know, well, you, you can't be a NASCAR driver because, you know, that takes 20 years of experience. But yet, if you ask a kid, what do you want to do? And they're like, I want to be an astronaut, like any anything that they and then tomorrow could be an architect. Right. Um, and then maybe they find out that they just want to build rockets. Right. Uh, so. I just think it's, it's really, really awesome to experience it at the ground floor, to give them the toolkits, and, and again, making sure that those folks that don't have those resources that's available to them, and just seeing how they blossom, whether that's STEM or outside of STEM. And I would personally like to give a shout out to uh, the Cyber Bytes Foundation. Um, Amanda, Amanda Sowitz about two and a half weeks ago, I personally went up there right outside of Quantico and I encourage folks that are in the local area to at least you know reach out to Amanda the team over there they're a small team but they're very nimble they're providing great opportunity for military and folks just generally that want to experience stem type opportunities um definitely went up there and you know seeing that it's not just a cyber flavor it could be you know ar augmented reality vr um putting these uh, oculus goggles on seeing what that environment is building raspberry pi drones like they have so many different opportunities there, it's kind of ridiculous, and it's all free for folks um, as a kind of nonprofit. So, just de- just a de- definitely a- another great opportunity um, to get plugged into learning um, at different uh, ages in that that life cycle uh, development for for folks.
2: And the other thing I would say is. Um higher education training like this isn't for everyone that we there's people that are they work with their hands so working in a trades is better for them um there's people that learn differently so they can't learn from reading they have to learn from doing or uh they have to watch a video a hundred times um to hear what's happening to figure it out um i'm an auditory learner so I figured out listening is the fastest way for me to absorb information. But that took until I was like in my late 20s to really hone that in. And that made school such a challenge. So I think figuring out like how you learn best and um, really trying to enable that as soon as you
0: can uh, is highly recommended. I think that's <clears throat> that's a foundational item that we don't learn early enough i you know I believe, and you know there's some folks out there, and you know Paul talks a lot about kind of the trade school concept and how you build those foundational mental models that you know overall set you up for success in whatever you're passionate about. Um, I think one of the things in this industry is we're seeing a lot more folks to look up to that are not just the 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 hacker or the you know the person that people see in magazines. Um, so when they think about oh I want to be in cybersecurity because you know I saw it's the highest paying job on USA Today and it looks cool that I get to play with technology and um, you know do some hacking stuff and you know break things down and, and rebuild them. That's what's bringing people into the industry. But I think there's a lot more folks nowadays talking about you know GRC and the business side and. There are other technical areas that are not hacking. You know, you could be a vulnerability assessor. You could think about rules and configurations. You can look at the network and really be able to understand the whole sphere of it and how to protect it. I think that's pretty cool, um, probably because I'm passionate about it. But I'm looking forward to hearing more folks come in and say, I'm really passionate about, you know, looking at things from a high level and, and breaking them down, finding gaps and helping these business leaders understand the unique mental model that I've been able to build, you know, through these trade school concepts, through these you know, different training programs, you know, some people, like you said, Chris, don't like to read. So how are those, you know, how do we set up those resources and how do we continue to set up those resources so that it's accessible to every yeah. single learning modality, learning um, method um, would be interested in your thoughts there on, you know, I know yeah. with what you're building, but any, any breakthroughs that you've seen, and kind of getting people out of that i just want to be a hacker um, to kind of now i want to be a leader in this space
2: well that that's why the, the first thing i do with my coaching and then the first thing we do with whole Server human initiative is to figure out their why because their why will help guide them into potentially which side of the color wheel you're going to end up and then from there like say it's red or blue um then you figure out okay where in the blue where in the red um there's such a variety oh no you don't like red or blue okay well uh you could stand here in the middle and and help the teams connect or uh you could be the one running the project or you could be the one selling the project and um while you don't do the technical stuff you understand why it's important how it helps the business. And then you can sell that to companies ensuring that you're doing it securely. There's so many different aspects to it. So figuring out what their why is and starting with that helps them figure out where they want to go first. And then from there... It's really doing like a gap assessment, like you mentioned. Okay, this is where I am. This is where I want to go. This is how people see me now. This is how I want them to see me in the future. So there's your technical skills and your soft skills. Um, Both of them have to be assessed. Uh, Your soft skills end up what creates your brand and your branding that is critical when you're looking for a new role. So as you're looking for that role, you have to put yourself in that mindset from the beginning that I'm a cybersecurity professional from the beginning, not like I only get that title once I get the role. No, you're a cybersecurity professional now because by the time you read one chapter in that book, you know more than a lot of people do. So let's take that information, let's harness that information you get in that mindset that you're a cybersecurity professional now, and you're just working to continuously evolve, continuously better yourself.
1: Yeah, I think. I that, see Greg uh, taking frantic notes. Yeah, I'm taking this as well, Greg, and I like to put a put a pin in it for a revisiting later, <laughs> or uh, somewhat rabbit brains at times can kind of uh, get us down the uh, the deep dark path, but. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that recognizing that they have a ever-evolving skill set that they may not know at all, quite frankly, if we're being honest, none of the even experts, or we'll call them shmees, uh, know it all, if we're being honest. We all have a lot to learn, especially as every second, every millisecond, this stuff, the way threat actors, the way people are getting into networks, the way businesses are evolving through technology, it's, it's, it's changing. Um, so it,
2: it, There's programming languages that are being developed uh, uh, on a daily, weekly basis. Um, there's companies that put out job listings for, for someone with 10 years experience in, in a language that just came out two years ago. Um, <laughs> they're expecting the world, but they have to understand like this is an ever-evolving space. And just because you don't know one specific language... Um, it could be based on another language, and there's a lot of similarities. Just like speaking, um, there's a lot of languages that that come from that French or that Spanish base, and connecting them. Uh, if you spoke one of those languages, you can then eas- easier understand that other language. Yeah, not even easily, say but easier. <laughs>
1: It's all right. Yeah, no. I mean, I'd say it's even as something so similar as you know a foreign language, but you don't know the local dialect, right? So you're there, but there's a parallel between the two to make you more a fluent speaker to the business, the security community, what what have you. Um, So taking that thought, looking at what the job wrecks are of asking for experience in something that didn't exist past you know X, Y, and Z years. How do the HR or human resources community and the security slash business leaders better refine or work together to refine the job listings. So people aren't scared away of taking that leap or trying. Well,
2: I would say, I always recommend taking a step back and figuring out what exactly you're looking for this role to achieve. And from that jobless thing if you're using that as a a copy paste from before what you really need to achieve that role and set realistic expectations you know they're going to need to ramp up so instead of saying oh these are the expectations that i have for them in two years okay let's scale that back you know they're not going to have all of that so set realistically to where you want them to be now that would provide them with the great foothold to build the rest on and then once they see that dear invest you're investing in them they're going to invest in you the 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 trouble i see is that in this i want it now i want it today mentality there's not any investment there's not any loyalty between factions employers employees um, we have to get back to being able to build loyalty, to uh, invest in each other. And that could be part of the job description. Hey, in this role, you'll be doing this, you'll be learning this, and these are the types of problems that you'll be solving for this mission, right? So now you take it from what you're learning, what you're solving, and then what sort of mission because today's generation, they want to go solve a problem. They want to help solve world hunger or a certain disease. Or so, if you're tied to one of those, show them that you're. This is part of your focus, so that you draw, you bring out that inner mission drive
0: in them. Yeah, it's a <laughs> big, big impact. Um, you know, we we're in an impact driven industry where I don't think people get into this industry unless they have that kind of impact driving them forward. How do you help leaders kind of stay focused? You know, there's so much to learn in this space. There's, you know, we see people getting into the industry. Maybe they have 20 years experience, you know, in another industry and they're trying to learn everything that cybersecurity embodies, which is, you know, it's really not possible. It creates confusion for them which can stifle action. So I know it stems from the why they have to figure out, you know, how they learn what their why is, you know, and that that leads to the competency area potentially of what they would be good at. But anything that you've come across to kind of rein people in and say, you don't need to know all this, you know, and I think you hit, hit on a key point there where when you lay it out like that, you know, the things you're going to accomplish, things you're going to learn, you know, the missions you're going to achieve, I think that's a, you know, that simplistic mindset, I think is so important in this industry. I'm not sure, you know, any any kind of breakthroughs that you've had in getting people there and just kind of slowing them down to say, here's what you need to be really good at now. Here's what you're going to learn next. And then, you know, here's how you can apply that to a overall mission. It's the
2: same thing for leaders, right? Um, There's CISOs that are focused on building up from a startup and once they've built up for, for them, their drive is done um, in that organization because they already built it up. They, they don't want to maintain. There's other people that are really good at maintaining. So they'll then come in and maintain that program. And then there's other people that, that want to optimize. They'll come in and they'll help optimize that program. So it's really figuring out like what you're good at and what problems you solve because that's what you're going to tell that future employer. Hey, you have this problem. This is how I help solve this problem. So you're bringing me in for this, um, problem solving ability. And then from there you grow out, uh, to help different parts of the organization, uh, solve that type of problem.
1: Yeah. I think switching gears here for a minute, um, you know chris you're you've been a security practitioner knee deep in the industry you know helping businesses helping customers navigate this complex stuff so what would you say some of the biggest challenges security leaders and we kind of touched on this a little bit but security leaders and security teams face currently you know top of mind threats what what have you
2: well it it goes back to how does an organization generate value? Most of the times, um, there's struggle in identifying what's the core application. How does that core application generate value? How, what sort of data flows through it? What, How sensitive is the data that flows through it? And it's really figuring out all the different pieces to the onion to peel it back to be able to secure it. So no matter how a threat actor is, um, they'll, they, they, they could eventually get you, but you, what you want to do is you, you want to build that resilience. You want to ensure that, um, whether it's an earthquake or it's someone DDoSing your primary location, that you're resilient to that. You have, um uh, backups in place or different strategies to, to tackle that, uh, so that, that's what I see the challenges being, especially in a cloud-first fast, um, this, everything environment. Now their core data is everywhere. Um, and it's almost like, okay, let's let's start pulling it back in. Do we really need 10 different um, software as a service providers to share our data with our vendors? Um, How about we integrate it into one and like solving that business problem? I know you need to get it out there. I know you need to have this functionality. How can we provide you with this same functionality with uh, a more closely monitored um, application that we can ensure that our sensitive uh, IP is not uh, flying out the door, uh, going to China or whatever?
0: Yeah, it definitely re- requires the conversation. I think those are some fascinating questions to kind of start that conversation or further it, take it to the next level um, from that standpoint. Before microservices kind of became a you know streamlined term in the industry when it comes to segmentation and kind of how this software as a service world, everything's as a service now, it seems like, you know, from a technology standpoint to a delivery standpoint. I remember, you know, three or four years ago, going to a SaaS provider and saying, you know, how are your clients segmented in your environment? And they were like, what do you mean segmented? And, you know, all these companies, you know, hundreds of companies are all playing together in the same pool, just sending their information back and forth. And it was working. So nobody asked the question on, you know, what does this look like? How is it architected? Where's, where's my data set? How do you make sure it doesn't, you know, intertwine with other companies, (laughs) which is scary to think about um, from that standpoint, if you have a line item that is supposed to go through this, you know, manufacturing line that's automated to make something. And, you know, it's the wrong SKU number. Um, So I think it, you know, everything's kind of co-mingling. So I think it's kind of the, you know, it's keeping things simple you know, the KISS model, Um, but having those important conversations that you're saying and asking the questions on, you want this to work, we want it to work as well. We just want it to work in the right manner. Um, And I think when that happens, it builds trust and that builds strong culture. And that's what, as we continue to to row forward, all of us together, you know, down the river, up the river, whichever way you look at it, you know, I think that those are going to be critical aspects of building a great culture, both in the industry and in the individual companies that we all have the opportunity to impact. Greg,
1: Greg, you're flowing. (laughs) love love the thoughts there. Um, We typically ask folks, you know, that we bring on the show, Chris, you know, just kind of round out the conversation, what security means to them. Security has different where that layer of protection has different elements to it. Um, so, you know, based on based on you being in the industry, what does security mean to you, Chris? Uh,
2: security to me means being able to do what I want and not being worried that either someone's going to stop me from doing it when I want to do it, someone's watching me doing it when I do it. And it, it's the same approach that I take with, uh, guiding stakeholders in the business um, figuring out what they want to achieve and how to enable them to resiliently deliver that that goal that that mission that you're trying to achieve um, on a day-to-day basis um, start with safety uh, just like with humans there's their psychological safety um, there there's safety of the systems there's then there's functionality. So uh, figuring out what we need to do to make it safe, and then from there, what, what could we do to make it function? Because um, if it's too safe, you end up throwing it in the ocean and n- no one can use it. Um, so you still want it to be able to, to interact with and function with. So y- you, you want that functionality to be there. Um, so it's that marriage between the, the two.
1: Yeah, I heard a great, really great points. I heard a on one of the podcasts uh, listened to that you know friction is always a word that it's like usability versus security. You know how far do we lock down to the systems is always a question, but the point being was you know folks in your business typically want to do the right thing. We talk about shadow IT and people downloading software that they ultimately want to get the solve the problem right. Whatever that's the first assignment to get there but they don't want to natively you know certain event security controls they just want to get their job done so i think it's back to the security con- culture component that having these open and honest conversations, eliciting feedback making it okay to get feedback where they're comfortable to bring these you know hey this application is you know causing additional three hours of my day that i could you know better utilize x y and z area um so i think it, it really or, or with- hey
2: yeah uh- hey, I see this chat GPT thing out there. Um, It seems like it can solve my business functions. Um, Are we able to try it out? Sure. Let's talk about what you're looking to achieve. um, If that is really the solution that you think it is, and and then work through some of the the concerns. Like if you don't understand how it's been programmed, um, the algorithms that go into it, and understand the biases and the the variability in the way it computes its results, um, you could get a tragic outcome. So you don't want that to be your day one delivering to customers. So you want to ensure that you work through those concerns ahead of time um, when it's in the nascent stage versus they already went out they already paid with their, their personal card um, because it's just 50 bucks a month and they connected it to your cloud service and now it's a chat bot for the company. Um, yeah, you want to have
1: those conversations
2: way before then.
1: And I think it goes back to when these folks have their, we'll call it bring your own device. You know, they download it, they connect to your cloud, they have uh, those security policies that run. And you know whether it's Microsoft 365 or whatnot, but they also download Snapchat, and Snapchat natively asks for your your location information, right? And Just TikTok. again having that having that conversation first and saying it's okay to bring new innovative ideas, applications, software to the table. Let's talk about it. Um, I'd rather you do that than my security team panic and try to inventory uh,
0: what we thought we were supposed to have, right? Stay away from the closet, I guess people used to say in the past, you know, you, you stay as far away from the IT and security closet as possible and you try to hide when you're doing anything that you think they wouldn't approve of. So I think we're breaking down some of those barriers you know, each day. Um, but, you know, it's, it's a cultural shift, like you've mentioned, Chris. Um, it's been a fascinating discussion. Pre- definitely appreciate your time. So,
2: Absolutely. Thanks for having me on and uh, love to come on again in the future.
0: Yeah, we'd love yeah. to have you on again, um, Jeff. Any any wrap up questions? Any final thoughts? You got, I, can, I can talk
1: with Chris and you guys for uh, for hours, but I value your time and um, definitely appreciate you taking the time this Friday to join us and provide um, your tremendous insights. Definitely would would uh, would like to see how people can find you, Chris. How people can get started in in your coaching if that interests them. Um, we'll start there.
2: Well, uh, cpf-coaching.com, easy way to find me. I'm also on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter, uh, Chris underscore F-O-U-L-O-N, and CPF Coaching, many other places as well. So uh,
1: that's the best way to find me. And to take that first step, he has a fantastic newsletter that I'm personally subscribed to there's a lot of healthy free content to just start that question of, or answer that question of why. And, and again, get your feet in there on, you know, what your cyber journey might look like and how Chris and the team, even that the whole cyber human can help enable and empower that mission. So I guess, uh, round things out, you know, I'd like to know, you know, who's been the most influential, influential, uh, person in your life, Chris, uh, and why?
2: Uh, I mean, some of the folks that have invested a lot of time and energy in me um, have been folks like Alan Alford, uh, Gary Hayslip, uh, Chris Roberts, um, uh, a lot over in the, the, the TinkerSec community. They've invested a lot of time in me, so um, definitely have to give hats up to them. And the folks that have invested in me has been the reason why i've been investing back in others because i feel um the need to give back and to to
1: continue that on yeah that's a healthy list of, of folks and i'm sure that you have your personal board of directors that we we talk about and then you have your professional board of directors um people that can help grow you and get you to that next level um that we talked about earlier on again chris been fascinating discussion I'll leave you just as we started coffee cup cheers. I wish everybody listening out there um, has a happy, healthy and safe weekend ahead. Um, we want to thank you again for our content. If you're enjoying uh, what we put out to the world and I definitely encourage you to reach out to Chris. Chris is always an open door to help in, in whatever way possible. And uh, with that, Chris drop, but we leave it like we leave every other episode. Make it your mission today to make somebody else's day better. And with that, have a great weekend, everyone.
0: Thanks, everyone.